It's the Breakcast. Breakcast. The PopBreak.com. Breakcast. Breakcast. Listen to the show. Because you're in for the PopBreak.com. Breakcast. Breakcast. Oh, Hi, this is Marissa Carpico, the film editor at thepopbreak.com. I'm here with Aaron Sarnecki, our former TV editor. Say hi, Aaron. Howdy. <laughs> um, so we are here to talk about um, Mission Impossible 6, Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, Aaron wrote the review. That should be up by the time you start listening to this. Um, I've read it. Um, he, he has no idea what I think, so we're, we're going to talk about what we thought of the movie, what we think of the Mission Impossible franchise in general. Um, and um, maybe some thing, what we think about the series going forward, um, if Tom Cruise can survive that long. Um, so, Aaron, why don't you talk a little bit about your history with the franchise? Um, you mentioned it in your review. I've, I've seen them all. I, I assume you have as well. Yeah, so the first one that I saw was Ghost Protocol back in 2011 when they had the little prologue for The Dark Knight Rises in IMAX. <laughs> Uh, so that's that, that's when I saw it first, um, and then I saw the sequel, and then I got the I got the first five movies as a gift uh, a couple years back. So I re or I rewatched the ones that I already seen. I watched the ones that I hadn't seen before I saw this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and this move this movie it's based the series is based off a. Uh, a TV series from the 1960s um, that they later turned into a movie series that um, stars Tom Cruise. Uh, the first movie was in 96, and then it's just somehow, somehow we've gotten to six of these movies, and I'm not really sure <laughs> how exactly it's happened, because... There was a long gap between two and three, yeah. and then there's a gap between three and four. And when I first saw the trailer for three, I was like, oh, I didn't know there were two of these. <laughs> then when four came out, everyone's like, oh, they're making a fourth. So, um, yeah, and it's also interesting because this is the first movie to be directed by the same person. Mm-hmm. Right. The first one is De Palma. The second one is John Woo. Three is J.J. Abrams. Four is Brad Bird, and then five and six are Christopher McQuarrie. Or is it is that is it Christopher? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's McQuarrie. Yeah. That's how say it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, this is the first the first time we've had a second director. And you said in your review that you thought Ghost Protocol, which is the first one you've seen, you saw, is when the series hits its stride. Why do you think that's the case? Uh, well, I mean, I guess it's sort of like. I don't know if it's a cop-out answer. If you do look at the Rotten Tomatoes score, it is in mm. the 90s, and that's basically been the trend earlier on. And I also think that was... I think that that was, like, the point where, like, we don't know if, like, this is going to be the last one. Like, we're just kind of surprised that we even made four of these. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see what happens. And then uh, people saw it, and they were surprised how good it was. So they decided to make more. I mean, that's at least my impression. Like, because I'm kind of a latecomer to the series, I don't know if maybe you have a different idea. 
Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I, I've watched them um, in theaters every every time they came out, the, each one. Um, and everybody sh- hates two, but I, I, my childhood best friend and I loved two. Um, because I'm not really sure why. Maybe we just really liked Thandie Newton. I mean, I still love Thandie Newton. So, right. um, yeah, I don't And Dugray Scott is very good in that and sort of like was introduced to us at the very right moment of our sexual awakenings as, as young women. So uh, I don't know. It's a weird, um, I loved, I loved too. I, I love it still. Like I haven't seen it in a while maybe and perhaps I'd feel differently, but. Um, right. I, I, I do actually rag on too a little bit in my review. <laughs> no, everybody does. It's fine. I, I have to defend myself and it all the time and, and I have no defense really. I mean, it's dumb as hell. Um, <laughs> But I, I don't know. There's a, there's a weird appeal to it that I, I just can't deny. Um, and I actually agree with you that it hits its proto or it hits its stride of protocol. Like I like all of them. Actually, I think one is the most boring and and on rewatch doesn't work as well as it did in the mid '90s. And maybe that's because of the way action movies have changed, or the, I don't know. But it it doesn't work for me in the same way it used to. It, it, even though it sets up all the tropes. Um, one is extremely convoluted. Yes, that's that's part of the issue of it, and they all are. I mean, I'd argue to start sort of talking about the new one. This one is probably the most convoluted since the first one, and and it it's like there's so many reversals. And, I agree. Yeah, and, and just to let everybody know, we're going to be spoiling everything in this podcast. So, okay, are, are we just spoiling this movie, or are we going to try to be vague about the other ones? I say let's spoil it all. We, they've had uh, they've had twenty years. Um, okay, that's fair. <laughs> uh, and it'd be odd to be sort of listening to this had not having not seen some of them, or at least have some sort of um, knowledge of them. And the, and the truth is, you almost don't need to watch the other ones to know anything about this one. Five is this is sort of a direct sequel to five in the first way in, in for the first time ever. I mean, usually it's they're almost um, very bond like in their format, um, except I mean, except for the modern bonds with Daniel Craig, which which all connect, but um, they they all are sort of their own thing. The women disappear afterwards, Danny Newton never showed up again. Paula Patton, who was in Ghost Protocol, who deserved to have a huge career after it has never shown up again, which is a shame. Uh, you know, it's... Michelle Monaghan has sh- sh- shown up a couple times because she was, at one point, married to Ethan Hunt, um, Tom Cruise's character. And then uh, Ilsa, um, played by Rebecca Ferguson, has shown up twice now. And that's... They should absolutely keep her around because she's excellent. But, yeah, it's, it's almost... It's fascinating the way these movies are sort of, for the most part, have been up until this point just distinct things that really didn't connect to each other except for having Tom Cruise and a couple of the same characters realistically. Right. Uh, well, the, the probably it, it's interesting. So not only are a lot of the female leads different, mm-hmm. um, his boss basically changes in every movie. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, true. <laughs> like at once it was like Lawrence Fishburne. Um, yeah. there's a real Anthony Hawkins shows up for like three minutes in two and he's not credited for some reason, and I don't understand why. I don't even remember that. I don't yeah, even remember. Yeah, when he's talking about the virus, he, he given it. It's Anthony Hopkins as his boss. Huh. I, I, that's been a long time since I saw that. he wasn't credited. That's bizarre. I mean, maybe he just, like, I don't know, didn't want that on his... I have no idea why. I would want that on my IMDb, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, huh. uh, the, the only thing that seems to be the constant besides... Um, 
besides Ethan is Luther is in all the movies. Yeah, played by Ving Rhames. Yeah, he is. Um, so do you want to give uh, everyone a quick plot summary of what, what this one is about? I, that's a big t- a thing to ask because the plot is very scattered, but you did a good job of it in the, in the review, and I'm going to make you do it here again. <laughs> okay, so this is a follow-up movie from Rogue Nation. In Rogue Nation, there was this band of uh, secret agents that basically did the opposite of what IMF did. They were trying to cause chaos and disorder um ilsa who shows up later in this movie she was undercover and she helped um ethan capture the the bad guy in that movie solomon lane now solomon lane's followers who are called the apostles are trying to further his work and they're trying to use plutonium to create a, a nuclear disaster um so early in the movie, Ethan has a chance to stop the threat, and being the person who Ethan is, he's like, I'm not gonna, you know, sacrifice the lives of my team. There's always, you know, there's always another way, and he ends up losing the plutonium, and now he has to um, get it back. Um, but the CIA has their eye on him because he goes rogue so many times. <laughs> And they've assigned Henry Cavill's character, Agent Walker, to keep an eye on him. And I think that's... I thought that was a good job. No, that's 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 fine work, man. I don't think I could do that as well on the fly. Because I, I think... I, I, I like the movie, I think, possibly a little more than you did. Um, but it is, it's, it is a, a mess by narrative standards even which is a little silly because obviously narrative is not necessarily the um the most like the the priority in in these films but by spectacle it's always been spectacle right exactly like it um he is sort of a a buster keaton type which i i saw a buster keaton movie um in theaters this week with a like a live accompanist like two days before i saw this and I kept okay. thinking, like... I've seen The General. Yeah, that's... You, you get the idea. Like, he, Buster Keaton, for people who don't know, is a silent film star who did a lot of stunt-type things. And, and much like Cruz did them did them live and by him, you know, just he just did them. Because like, there was no stunt people back then. He was the stunt person. Um, uh-huh. And his movies were often about, like, spectacle. Like, in The General, he... There's, Chasing a train. Yeah, he's, he's uh, driving a train at one point, and he's sitting on the cow catcher with, with that little railed thing on the front of the train and he's he's holding logs and throwing logs onto other logs to get them off the track so the train doesn't derail it's incredible and yeah tom cruise has basically the sort of same thing but the the technology has made it so he can like do a halo jump or or <laughs> you know or um fly a helicopter and then crash it on the side of a mountain um so it's there's an insane like escalation um but the it's interesting in this one that where they they do seem to be trying to do a little more character work and a little more narrative work than I've ever possible that they than I've ever seen in in one of these films because there's so many callbacks to previous movies both big and small like there's a moment where there's that famous moment in Mission Impossible 2 when he's when Tom Cruise is free climbing at the very beginning without like any harnesses 
And then there's this moment which would seem so stupid in any other movie if it was just like someone we didn't have history with, where after the helicopter chase and the helicopter uh, carcasses, as it were, <laughs> falling off that snowy mountain, he manages to just grab hold of the side of a cliff. And it would be, in any other, if we didn't know Ethan Hunt was a free climber, we'd be like, oh, come on. But he's a free climber. Like, there's established, you know, um, there's, this is established way early in the, in the series, like in the franchise. Like, technically, that's, that's just continuity. Like, it would be weird if he couldn't free climb at this stage of his life, realistically, because he was so good at it at one point. And then, like, the bigger ways it, it sort of ties into things is um, Michelle Monaghan coming back as this sort of, like, to tie it back to Bond. And the reason I keep tying it back to Bond, actually, is because your brother wrote a very, very good article um, uh, basically comparing Ethan Hunt to James Bond. And I thought about his his article throughout the movie, actually, because it was, like, it's such an apt comparison, especially now, I think, in the last couple installments. Um, but it, like, they... Michelle Monaghan is almost his Vesper Lind, in a way. Um, this woman and this ideal life that he could have had that could have stopped him from being in the spy life anymore. And then in a weird way, Ilsa Lind is almost the, or Ilsa, Ilsa Faust, sorry, uh-huh. is um, basically like, almost like Leia Seydoux's character from The Last Bond. So it's it's a weird thing of, uh, he, they're definitely trying to make a, an emotional continuity of like, um, Ethan is compelled to be a spy. He has to save the world. He cannot not risk his life constantly. Um, but he does so at the sacrificing of, of his p- potential emotional and well-being and his own happiness. Although I think the ending maybe sort of sets a path for that where, you know, Rebecca Ferguson becomes his, his like, you know, spy wife essentially. And they just right. spy together and it's the perfect synthesis of the two things he loves most in the world. Do you have any uh, thoughts on that, or am I am I connecting things that maybe the movie doesn't? No, I mean I always thought that there was something between him and uh, Ilsa. I mean, even in the the other movie, you know, when she's they have that moment where she says that instead of going through the operation, they could just run away, um, and it, it's pretty clear that she's interested in him. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it. I like that you bring uh, up Julia because um, for me, and I don't know if this is a popular opinion or not, mm-hmm. uh, Mission Possible 3 is my favorite. Um, I, I, I know it doesn't like, it doesn't feel as much like a Mission Impossible movie. It's more like your standard action movie. Yeah. Um, but um, I don't know. I guess I just really like a lot of the action in it. There's that part where they're flying through the uh, the wind farm. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a great. The, that's a great sequence. A, yeah, there's a drone uh, attack on the bridge. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that's Philip Seymour Hoffman. Rest in peace. So, yeah, I think um, you're. I think you've got a good point there. Um, I mean, I think uh, Mission Impossible Three is almost a turning point in the franchise in the same way that like. Um, the third movie in the Harry Potter franchise was sort of a turning point to turn things darker or. In that case, I mean, it got darker because they killed Felicity in the first five minutes. Um, But it also 
forward, like front forwarded the action. One and two are very oddly very character and like girl based. Where the first one, he thinks the woman he loves is is murdered, and in fact she's she's just uh, double crossed him with uh, with like uh, the bad guys. Um, and she's just a femme fatale. And in the second one, he's basically just trying to save Thandie Newton from a her abusive relationship and then b the chimera virus. Right. <laughs> so the third one is definitely where it begins to become high spectacle. I would say, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I think three is very good. I loved three at the time. I, I like J.J. Abrams a lot. I think that movie is a lot of why J.J. Abrams has such a big movie career. Honestly, because that was. Yeah right after Lost and Alias and like new, people could knew he could make a TV show but they weren't sure could this guy carry a big movie or you know like uh, a big yeah, movie. for a first time directing a movie like it's honestly like incredible like how I mean that was also like basically the same thing with Brad Bird who was first time directing live action like yeah. that he did Ghost Protocol but uh, anyway bringing it back to Julia so I always liked the relationship between Julia and Ethan so I ha- I'm going to admit I had mixed feelings with the way they handled her in this. Yeah. Just, I mean, for one, I always liked that the- they always kind of gave her character something to do. I mean, she's crucial in the ending. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Three, she helps Luther in this. Um, so I like that she's not like a complete damsel. She does have some agency. Yeah. Um, but so the idea that she remarried... Uh, she married this other guy like I get all the things that you're saying like and obviously you know it seems like this is where they're both the happiest and it did seem like I mean obviously it was her choice but it it, it did seem kind of unfair that like she basically had to be in hiding yeah. um, but at the same time like I just see her new husband and I'm just like, I want to sock this dude in the face because he's not Ethan. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, he, he will never be Ethan. Yeah. No, I think it's, I think, but I think the movie sort of agrees with you on that. There's a, Wes Bentley is the guy who's playing um, the husband and there's really, he does a really clever performance actually where his sort of like um, attempt at like, big dick energy essentially where he's sort of like trying to impress Ethan in a way or at peacocking at Ethan to sort of like make him seem a little more in control of the situation or whatever it it suggests that he's always felt like a consolation prize or or, or a second choice for her in their marriage even if she's never really mentioned Ethan that much um and ha- clearly hasn't told him the entire history because she, I mean, she, I'm sure she is not allowed by the government. Um, but the way he plays it makes it seem as if there is, he knows that she missed out on on this sort of like great love that that has now appeared in their lives all of a sudden. And she's Michelle Monaghan, Monaghan plays it very beautifully, where she is clearly really affected by him suddenly showing up there and then slowly realizing like, oh my God, there's something going on here. And not only is there something going on here, the reason I'm in this space right now is because I'm a pawn in whatever's going on. Um, But I do agree with you about the way they always let her be active in the films. I mean, I think that is actually one of the best things about the series in that 
every woman who's ever been in been in it pretty much has also been quite capable, but po- possibly besides Thandie Newton's character, who was the most damselly of them all. But like, if you look at three, you know, Michelle Monaghan is actually always involved in in the ending. She saves his life at one point, um, right at the end there. Um, and Paula Patton is on equal footing as a spy in in Ghost Protocol, and Ilsa is like the most dangerous, like, one of the most sort of physically imposing people he's ever met. I mean, technically, like, Henry Cavill is 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 in this movie as a sort of, like, foil for Tom Cruise, as, like, a younger man who is built like a, like a brick shithouse. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> look, at he's huge. Um, he's Superman, for Christ's sake. Um, and... But really, it's there's it's her that's that's sort of the foil of of who he is, like the exact opposite of the coin um, that Ethan is. Because there's a moment, like you know, Tom Cruise is famous for his sort of running in movies, and there's a long sequence where he does a lot of big, long running shots. Uh, one of one of which where he broke his ankle um, in this movie, and there's also a, a great moment where she gets to sort of get a Tom Cruise run and. Her action is so like lithe and clever, and his is so like horsepower based. It's it's sort of fascinating, and like I think one of the, my favorite things in the movie is that this the climax basically puts all of these characters, including the women, on equal footing in saving the world. Like uh, Michelle Monaghan, Julia has to be involved in defusing one of the nuclear bombs. Um, so does Ilsa, and she has to beat the crap out of Lane and save uh, Benji's life in that same sort of time that Tom Cruise is flying a helicopter trying to get get Henry Cavill. It's like, it's all placed on equal footing as as heroic, which is, I mean, pretty impressive. Like, a lot of, like, the Bond series is not great at that necessarily. Like, all of the women are often sort of spies or whatever and can do a couple of things, but they're, nobody's ever placed on equal footing. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it, it just is, like... There's something here about, I mean, you would think like Tom Cruise is such a big action star, it would be, he wouldn't want to share the limelight in that way. Like, I'll watch movies with The Rock or something like that, and he doesn't want to share the limelight in that way. Not even with his male co-stars. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, like, Baywatch is such a, a, a like, celebrate an obnoxious celebration of The Rock's masculinity that it, it made me like him less, which is bizarre. <laughs> like, he's he's so damn likable. But... It's fascinating the way that all of these people, and especially the women, get to sort of be on equal footing with Cruz in in these movies, in a way that feels really exciting for like a, a woman watching these. Uh, uh, kind of segue into something else. So, yeah. um, one of the other uh, another woman character is Vanessa Kirby's widow. Oh. Yeah. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong, but. They seem to heavily imply that she is the daughter of Max from the first movie. Is that so? I did not catch that at all. When she's first talking, that she said something about her mother. I could be wrong. Yeah, I didn't catch that, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past it. That would be utterly fascinating. Well, yeah. I mean, um, was it Vanessa? No. What's the name of the actress who plays Max? Uh, Vanessa. I can't remember at the moment, but give me a second and I'll look it up. Let's see. Um, go, go ahead and keep uh, go on with that point. Let me yeah, look up her name. Whatever. Um, so, yeah, there was an, an interesting thing because her role was, 
Well, I would assume they're related because there was very um, similar roles where, you know, she was sort of like the female spy master that had what Ethan needed. I mean, he had to make a deal with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I know Vanessa Kirby from The uh, the Crown. Yep. thought she was good in this movie. Um, they kind of forgot about her after a while and then reminded you at the end that she was in it. It's Vanessa Redgrave, which is... Yeah. that yeah. That's actually a really interesting point, and I, I hope it's true, although it is weird because it's not like Vanessa Redgrave is dead. That they couldn't hire Vanessa her again. Vanessa Redgrave was one of my favorite parts of the first movie. Yeah, though she's great in that. I I did uh, I really did not catch that though. That's that would be fascinating though, honestly. Um, what did you think of that White Widow character? Otherwise, though, I mean, I thought she was like a really traditional femme fatale and really compelling on screen. Like she's often compelling. Like you, you said, the Crown, and she's really interesting on that, even though it's like not her show, uh-huh. technically. Um, but I, th- I found the chemistry between her and, and Tom Cruise and the way that character is obviously attracted to Ethan because he is dangerous, so fascinating. And, like, boy, do I want that character to come back. And they certainly set her up to come back. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I was surprised that... Um, because I don't think she's really known for being a movie actress, but mm-hmm. I was she really did hold her own in every scene she was in. Yeah, she's really compelling on, on screen in a way that, like, again, felt very traditionally Bond in a way that the movies usually don't. Because like, it's so rare that that these movies really put, unless uh, often they're villains, you know, women who are put in sort of traditionally um, feminine action movie roles or, like, spy movie roles. Um, but she's not quite a villain in this she's a bad girl but she's not she ends up being an okay person um for for the team uh but yeah it's it's a weird role because it's definitely so slinky and and built for such a like traditional like femme fatale thing but again there's always this little twist of it where maybe she's she's max's daughter and maybe she is better like a better person uh, than than it first appears. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Are, do we have any other new characters this 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 go around that are that are really exciting? I think it's it's really mostly new old like old old characters we've seen before, right? Yeah, I mean, there's uh, Angela Bassett. Um, oh, of course, Jesus. Um, she's not into that much. She's great in what she's in. Yeah. Um, no, she but makes the really, most of her screen she's time. The person for sure. holding, or at least she thought she was holding, Henry Cavill's leash in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think about Henry Cavill? Um. Well, I mentioned earlier that I I like um the way he sort of exists as a, um. As a like, what's the word I'm looking for here? He. He's a foil for for Tom Cruise in that he he represents the person who would usually be the lead of one of these movies. He's younger. He's he's uh, he's enormous, um, and he's got that sort of like insanely traditional handsomeness that is like, good God, look at look at this man. Um, <laughs> he's beautiful, um, but he is also technically the villain. He's the contrast. He's he's what. 
he's what Ethan would be if he didn't have um, the moral compass that that ultimately leads Ethan to do things like save his team over over grabbing the plutonium, which I I do actually think is they they say it as a as a as a character a good character trait throughout, but I don't know. It's it seems like three three nuclear bombs. <laughs> Or, or maybe a, a, I love Ving Rhames and I and I like Simon Pegg, but I think you got to stop the plutonium from getting stolen before you save your friends. I mean, like, well, I, I mentioned it a little bit in my review. Well, uh, so, in the start of the movie, they, I mean, they I, they pull a couple fake outs in this movie, yeah, but, um, big ones, yeah. Um, they make you think that. Immediately after they lose the plutonium, the bombs go off, and I was like, "Whoa, this is really dark for Mission Impossible." Yeah, were, were you excited by that dark turn? Because when I first thought it was real, I was like, "Holy shit, that is that is the boldest thing I've seen in a an action movie ever." I kind of am into this idea of like there are consequences to this like cops and robbers fantasy that we're playing here. Yeah. um... I thought that when I, when I, as I was seeing it on screen, I was like really conflicted. I'm like, this is like so like this is so jarring. But at the same time, it, it is like it would have been a huge narrative risk. And then of course they revealed that no, the bombs didn't go off. Uh, Benji was playing Wolf Blitzer, which mm-hmm. I thought was funny. That was very funny. Um, they also had an opportunity. I feel like. Um, I mean, I do love Luther. I've always liked his relationship with um, Ethan. Yeah. It would have been, if they really wanted to, like, put this movie in a different direction, have him lose the plutonium by trying to save Luther, but Luther dies anyway. Yeah. No, I, I yeah, I think there's, that would have been all really interesting. I think there's but, a... Like I say in my review, some people would say, well, you know, maybe that goes against the spirit of the of the movies um, yeah. too much. Yeah, um, I mean, I think that's... It, it might feel that way, but I, I think uh, all those movies are all made in a different world than we are currently living in, not to get right. too, like, <laughs> present and political in, in a way that these films are, are almost like militantly not apolitical like these these movies like realistically there's no 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 bad guys in a way that you would expect like no no russians show up in this one which is is not just a trope of now but a trope of all spy films um because of the soviet union and the u.s you know the cold war and all but yeah it's it's interesting that like what they're after is is technically people who want to take down governments um and are disappointed in the way those systems uh, keep the bad things going rather than stopping them which is a really interesting idea for our current climate but it it goes sort of unexplored other than comparing and contrasting cavill and and cruz's characters in that like one is a true believer they're both true believers but in very different ways and one of them is willing to sacrifice human lives in the way another one isn't. Um, but it, it's, there's something like, I mean, they mentioned like the president a couple times, but like, there's no, there's no mention of who that president is. You, you could almost think that like, all of these movies take place in an alternate universe. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, 
bringing up like the villain's motivation. So that's actually one of the things I didn't like as much, mm-hmm. just because I thought that like they. So I feel like they basically had the same villain now for three movies. So <laughs> you had a guy who was trying to do very similar things in Ghost Protocol. He was basically trying to like create the next cataclysm that would usher in the next phase of evolution or something like that. Yeah. Then Lane, they didn't really go into what his like ideals were in five. So I thought he was a little more interesting basically because I, I think it was mostly just the performance that um, Mm -hmm. Sean Harris gave that I really liked, but they didn't really go into like, okay, this is like ultimately what he's trying to achieve. It's just like, you know, he's trying to shape the world into whoever he thinks it should be. And now in this one, he's ready to blow himself up, literally. Yeah. R- largely because it seems like he wants to take revenge on Ethan. Yeah. So, I don't... I It just didn't work for me. Mm. I mean, I could... I, maybe it's just like... It started to feel like they were... Re- and I mean, I said in my review, they rehashed basically every plot line in all these movies. Yeah. I mean, this is a sixth movie, but I guess it just, it felt like it was rehashing too much, especially since this is like a direct sequel. Yeah. No, I think that, I, I wonder if it if it's part of the issue of the franchise and also part of the issue of just like the modern action film, where the stakes are so high in everything now that the only villain plot we can have is the, the total destruction of the world. Um because we've been seeing it for so long, and, and anything beneath that would seem, it would has the perception of seeming too, too low stakes, which isn't actually right. true. I mean, I think like the the personal stakes in this are exact actually what make it as interesting as it is. And like if you look at something like Infinity War, the reason that that ending is so effective is because we like all of those characters, and there's personal con- consequences. It's it's almost like irrelevant that the rest of the world is also affected like realistically realistically if we all lived in that world half of our people we know would be disintegrated right right and when you think about it uh, the only movie that keeps it really small mm-hmm. i mean three to a little bit but mostly the first one it's just like ethan's being framed that's the big right and he has to clear his name absolutely but there's the problem is that it doesn't really have that character connection i mean there's like him and luther but mm-hmm. like none of the other characters are particularly interesting no i mean john john renault has a i mean he's ends up being a bad guy so mm-hmm. so uh yeah and i again i i said that probably starting with the fourth one mm-hmm. i mean they I think they, they they progressively got better with it. Mm-hmm. They made Ethan's team more interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's a weird it's a weird franchise in that really the only narrative and emotional through line we have is Ethan Hunt, and I I think it it's like they can only just keep throwing the same sort of problems in front of him because we we know what that character cares about and there's only a couple things he cares about like he cares about uh his ex-wife he as as luther tells us appears to be in love with ilsa um and he cares about saving the world and and sort of fulfilling his own uh 
does like existence reason for being by saving the world so it, 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 with those parameters there's only so many things you can do do you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but I, I don't know. I think it's the plot is is weird and an oddly overstuffed, but also really thin at the same time. Like a lot of stuff happens, um, but it, it it's all just like a, a very loose structure by which to um, justify like really big stunts, which is like we've talked about um, part, something that became foregrounded in the in the franchise from like three on well i I mean they've always been about stunts but they've just become increasingly more insane um and i actually want to talk about the stunts because like again this is maybe the most stunt heavy one of all i mean it's it's almost constant like we barely have some talking scenes and then the stunts are so insane it's unbelievable and and actually we had a an article about the stunts throughout the franchise written by ryan demarco that um everybody should read if they have a minute um where and this was before he'd seen uh, this one, and I can't imagine that like he he picked the, the eight most in, insane stunts in the franchise history, and this one almost could be that entire list because it's like it goes from like there's stuff we see in the trailer that we think is probably the biggest thing in it, and then it goes bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's like it's in, it's incredible, and and again to like bring it back to the Keaton reference, it's like. Tom Cruise is doing all of this stuff, often at the the risk of his own life. I mean, he broke an ankle, and they had to shut down for, like, six months. Um, it took, like, a year to film this movie because he was injured. Um, and at some point, it's like, it feels like Tom Cruise is going to die doing one of these movies if they if they keep making them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. How did you feel about the stunts? Did you enjoy them, or, or, or you were they just, like, too much for you? What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, what stunts in particular are you thinking of? Um, the halo jump, um, the uh, running over that footbridge on the top of the footbridge in London, and and before that, client like basically just parkouring his way through through is that London actually? Maybe it's somewhere else. Uh, I thought it was London. Yeah, it is. Okay, um, like parkouring his way through London on rooftops and all this stuff, and. And then the helicopter thing. I mean, the, the studio alleges that he actually was operating that helicopter when he's chasing that the Henry Cavill character. Um, and I found them all sort of thrilling and enjoyable. And that motorcycle chase in the middle is incredible. Uh, the the Some of the camera choices there, um, and Rob Hardy is the, is the cinematographer in this, which I think marks it like he's this is the first time he's been part of the franchise and this is some of some of the best cinematography i've seen in any of these movies um and it's really because he puts the camera like on the ground almost like clearly on the front of a car or something and then just chases ethan through the street so it's like we're on that ride with him and it's really thrilling in a way that i and it's like in a way that i haven't seen in this franchise before because there's been many motorcycle chases Cruz loves nothing more than to get on a motorcycle um but I don't know, these, these, these stunts felt like some of the best of the franchise. Did you feel that way? Uh, I mean, yeah, the motorcycle chase is... Um, yeah, I don't know how, like... Because you think of, like, okay, he, they have to show him, they have to show where all these cars are. Right. They even, like, situ- situate themselves to shoot it like that. Yeah. Um, like in any other movie, that would be the the final action set piece, and that's just the set piece in the middle, you know. Yeah. 
Right. I thought maybe it went on a little long, mm-hmm. maybe just because um, I'm trying to think. There's the motorcycle chase, and like immediately after, or is it before, they have the, the car chase. Well, it's the there's the car chase, and then there's... Well, there's two car chases, I guess. So there's like the van chase after they um, have have gotten Lane out of custody. Then there's the motorcycle chase, and then after the motorcycle chase is another chase, a motorcycle slash. Or wait, is that before? Maybe that maybe that is before. It, it's like when Ilsa shows up. I think that actually is before. No, I can't remember. I really can't. But regardless, it, it, I think you bring up a good point where. The action is relentless in this, even if it's often very good, to where I, I was pretty exhausted by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, so my favorite stunts, I mean, I guess you'd classify it as stunts, was easily the end of the movie, which I said, like, if, the, if this ending had been different, I would not have liked the movie mm. uh, as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you basically get, like, a 10-minute sequence of helicopters chasing each other yeah through the mountains mm-hmm. and I that was that was what made the movie for me even even though it's like okay like maybe the plot isn't as good as maybe some of the other ones but um I don't know it's just like it's just like full-on action movie um you know most of it was practical mm-hmm. um yeah, I mean, allegedly um, he did smart with the way they cut it. So like, you didn't get too much of it. Uh, so you got like the other plot lines, and you got back to it. Yeah, right. It's all interspersed. I mean, if you put it all together, it's probably like ten minutes long. But that whole last final action sequence, with if you include all the storylines, it feels like a half hour at least. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, why do you think that saved the movie for you? Just the. The sort of camera tricks, or what about that? Yeah, scene I, don't know, I don't know. I guess I just, um, I guess it's just, it seems it, uh, there's something daring about it. I mean, like, uh, flying the, um, all the, the helicopters and all like the aerial maneuvers, mm-hmm. uh, they have to do, and, um, it, it is also interesting right before it, like, the way you see Ethan hanging off of the, the helicopter behind him. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's really actually funny where, like, they show Henry Cavill's character, and in the background you can see, like, yeah. the pilot of the other helicopter falling out. Yeah. That's, that's one of the more, again, Buster Keaton-y sequences where the stunts are in service of a comedy bit, oddly enough. Like, yeah. that all, up until he actually gets into the helicopter and starts to fly the damn thing... It is it is a bizarrely like comedic performance where he he's first he's got to run up to that thing and jump on it and the and Ilsa and Benji are like Jesus Christ what is he doing like that's insane like don't look he's gonna he's gonna be a pancake on the ground in a second um, and like and all that like where he climbs all the way up and then he has to fall all the way back down it's like it's both a combination of like physical prowess and like making us laugh at like how how difficult how much how much ethan has to work to save the world i mean he's getting tossed around so much oh yeah i was just like well yeah when i saw him like fall off that road and like catch himself i was just like well i always thought you new know, tom cruise was crazy I was just like how did they do that and like 
why would you sign up to do something like that? Yeah. Like, that, it's so risky. I looked at, I, I was looking at, I think, a, like a stunts compilation-y type thing about this movie, and he really just did that. He, like, <laughs> he, they had a, they obviously, like, erased it digitally, but he was, there's a harness that's keeping him attached to the, that, that big payload and, and the, the rope that's holding it on there, or the cable that's holding it onto the helicopter, and he just falls at one point and then catches himself in in real life but uh, with a safety cable to do it i mean it, it's insane what he risks I mean, the man is 56 like my dad is close to that age i i i would be very and my dad does like 200 mile bike rides sometimes for charity like and shit like that so uh, but i would worry about him f- flinging himself off the side of a helicopter like that <laughs> like you know i'd be like dad you gotta rethink this like I don't know what Tom Cruise is thinking, but he clearly enjoys this in some way. I mean, he he trained to do the halo jump. He trained allegedly to do all that helicopter stuff. He falls over and jumps off of buildings all the time. I mean, it's 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 insane. The man is like either he's like has a death wish or or I don't I don't know. I mean, I think he just has a death wish. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I was actually interested by something you said in your review where you, you wouldn't suggest people see this in a theater necessarily. Like I, It really depends on how... Maybe it's just because I've seen, mm-hmm. especially so close to each other, all the other movies. Sure. So it, it, it does seem so similar. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like... I, I said that if you've never seen any of these movies, definitely go see this movie. Okay. Um, but, I don't know, it's just like, if stunts alone are enough for you, then this movie, yeah, I would see it. But, I mean, it is like two and a half hours. Yeah, it's very long. It's a three-hour experience if you're seeing it in a theater with previews and, and shit. Um but yeah, I, I mean, I, I was just surprised by that because I would say this one felt the most like cinematic of possible like action movies that you could get because again, that cinematography is incredible, and to see the way people are placed in the frame um, in any given shot is really emphasized beautifully by a giant a giant screen. Like I I wonder if it would, and also there's the lighting issue where you'd have to really ratchet up your TV because there's the light often, except for the big action set pieces outside, everything else is very dark, um, deliberately so. And it's very beautiful to look at, um, but you'd really have to adjust your televisions at, at home. You um, might have a point. I mean, I'll, I'll stick with what I said, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're, 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 we're allowed to differ. Um, <laughs> But I also feel like the sound work slash score is really something I was glad to hear on um, a big surround sound movie system because the score is really like intense and foreboding and there's a really wonderful way it uses like percussion and rhythm to sort of build tension. Um, and like there's sort of fascinating thing where he it's barely employs the um, the famous theme. Like it, it happens like once or twice yeah they use variations of it or just bits yeah. and pieces yeah and it's it'll show up very briefly and then it'll just be like tense 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 possibly because what's going on is such a like again such a big scale it's hard to sort of like have the silly fun of the other films when 
when there are three nuclear bombs out there, <laughs> potentially ready to blow up every major city or whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think for me, it feels like a really cinematic experience that I would I would encourage people to to go in and search out on a big screen just because it, it feels feels immersive in a way um, I don't always necessarily feel in an action movie. Like, I, I honestly wouldn't need to see Infinity War on a big screen if it weren't going to get spoiled, you know? Like, right. there's nothing in that visually or sound-wise or anything like that really that really deserves a big screen experience, frankly. Um, and I would say that about a lot of movies. I mean, like, Thor Ragnarok I would want to see on a big screen because it's so enormous and colorful and, and sort of wonderful in its way. Um, but, it, and maybe a Fast and Furious I'd like to see on a big screen, but that sort of depends. But it's this is more craft-oriented... Um, filmmaking wise than I than I often see in a in a in an act like a big commercial action picture and I don't know I just was impressed by that sort of commitment to not just churning some shit out you know what I mean like I saw um, Skyscraper recently and I love the shit out of it Um, but so much of it is is CGI obviously because you can't build the the tallest building in the world just for the rock to blow it up in real life Um, but there's a sort of like haphazard slapdash feeling to something like that, or even like Ant Man, which has a shitload of money behind it. But that even that I wouldn't need to see on a big screen because it's very talky, and this is very not talky. Uh, there, like there's the scenes where there is conversation are are pretty pretty um, limited. Like there's talking sections, and then there's long, long action sequences that are visually told. And and there's a lot of visual storytelling in this, too. Like, things that were not being told explicitly um, by having exposition, which it, I think is really impressive because action movies can over-explain things sometimes. Um, especially a franchise picture. Like, a lot of Infinity War is exposition. Um, it, it necessarily. Because it has to be. Because um, there's we didn't know Thanos really before that, and we need to know the stakes that we have, and we also need to introduce fifty-five thousand characters to like care about. Um, but there's moments in this that are so visually like that are such like re- really good visual storytelling. Like there's um, there's the scenes where like we'll see something, uh, we'll see like the device that they use to like put a tracker in somebody, and then we'll notice something about it and the camera will zoom in on us to tell us something and then the next scene that'll come back in some way. Or even there's that moment when Wes Bentley is talking to Ethan or, or is, is packing up stuff and Michelle Monaghan's packing up stuff in the, in, the, in the behind him in the frame and he goes and she suddenly just like leaves the room and he has that look on his face where he's like this, this obvious like reminder of like She's choosing Ethan, like, son of a bitch. Like, you can see him thinking, like, God damn it, like, I still can't win against this sort of specter of her ex-husband. So, I don't know, I think there's a lot of really intelligent visual storytelling that I don't, that I usually don't get to see in, a, in an action film. And I, don't, I think it would, I think it's in uh, something I would suggest people see on a screen and, and just see in general. Like, I, I think I'd have to watch the whole franchise to really decide if I think... If it's better than all of any of them, I think uh, Ghost Protocols might still be the best one. 
But I don't know. I want to, I think I need to watch them all again, except for the first one, which I, I really don't like to watch. Um, and really decide, like, how do I feel about this as, as this latest chapter in this long franchise and possibly, I don't, I'm sure he'll make more. It seems inevitable that Tom Cruise will make more. Um, are you, so you're, I mean, you're basically a fan of the franchise, even though you have a lot of um, criticisms for it. Um, and I don't think it's, um, that's not a criticism of you. I, I always say to my, my mom when I'm really harsh on something, I hate because I love um, when it comes to movies. So, but would you see, do you want to see another one after this or are you sort of feeling a fatigue? Uh, again, maybe it, it, I mean, so few franchises go six movies. Yeah. Um, I just, I don't know where there's left to go, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Tom Cruise is getting older. Yep. Um, if they they could always just make Ilsa the main character I mean she doesn't maybe have the box office draw right. that Tom Cruise has um, she's not as well known but I mean it could do that yeah uh, we are in a world that where franchises are more consistently uh, an indicator of a box office success than, than stars I mean we're almost in a post star world and, and if they put her in like one or two more if Tom can crawl through one or two more and and she's equal footing as him um, it's possible he, she could become as big of a draw do you know what i mean yeah i mean because like he's tom cruise at some point is going to hit a wall whether mm-hmm. he wants to or not literally and figuratively yeah yeah i no, i think he yeah it's inevitable that he's gonna have to stop at some point and it's gonna probably be from some huge in, injury um, I think that's covers basically everything I want to talk about. Is there, is there something we, you wanted to mention that we, we haven't talked about? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I think I'm, I'm good. All right. Um, well, uh, that is our podcast on Mission Possible Fallout then. Um, like I said, uh, Aaron's review will be up by the time you can listen to this podcast. Um, and I, let's see what I, I might have, um, a review of the new, Kate McKinnon, Mila Kunis feature, um, the spy who dumped me up by this time, by the time this, this is available to listen to. I I actually got to see an early screening of that, um, on Friday. So I will probably have something, uh, about that and uh, just a preview of my thoughts. It's, it's a, I wish I hadn't seen that the day after I'd seen this (laughs) Um, because it's, it doesn't do uh, a spy who dumped me any favors. Um, Aaron, is there anything you want to plug uh, coming up? Uh, I, I met Marissa Carpico at, on Twitter, by the way, everyone. How about you, Aaron? Yeah, I'm, I'm just at Aaron Sarnecki. It's not, so it's pretty easy to find me. It's not anything fancy. Okay. Uh, any articles uh, you have coming up otherwise? TV things, possibly? Um, the only TV thing coming up is uh, I'm playing or reviewing the premiere of the center just because i'm interested in where they take this season mm, okay interesting i haven't watched that but i I'm, i when I've, i remember seeing the trailers originally and thinking like oh that won't last and then it has uh or or it, or it won't be good in that but i keep hearing things about it um anyway uh that is it for us thanks for listening everyone and uh you'll probably hear me again next week thanks everybody thanks aaron Bye.